Hey, it's Jim Paff again, and this is the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are evil because they want to run your lives. We promote culture and government that values voluntary decisions left up to you. This is a way to promote justice and kindness that thinks about the needs of others before ourselves. Go to our website, politicsisntnice.com, and join our email list. The button's right there at the top right, politicsisntnice.com. It's Jim Path. This is the Against Nice Podcast. Today I got my friend David Harsani. I've known David for a lot of years when he was uh, with the Denver Post, um, and uh, I was doing work in Colorado. David is a one, probably the best columnist in the country. I, I really believe that. The guy has a brilliant mind and a really capable uh, pen. I just you're, you, I love his, his stuff. He's at uh, National Review now, been other places. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Against Nice podcast. Jim Paff here with my friend David Harsani. He's a, a uh, writer for National Review. Uh, we got to know one another way back in the day in Colorado. He used to be on the a writer and an editorial page editor or a board member for both the Rocky Mountain News before it went out and also the Denver Post. David, uh, welcome. I'm glad you could come on today. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I was not actually at, ever at the Rocky, but... Uh, oh, I thought you were at the Rocky, yeah. No, I just, I mean, I knew, I know Vince Carroll, who was uh, yeah. ran that page pretty well. And he, I worked, actually worked with him when he came yeah. over to the Denver Post after the Rocky folded, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, good. I'm glad we got that corrected. But <laughs> how are you doing today? And uh, what's going on in your world these days? Well, I am, uh, I'm sort of an introvert, so not much has changed in my life, to be honest. But uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, I'm locked down here in Maryland, right near DC. And uh, just writing, I uh, moved over to the National Review in November. And a couple of months later, this happened. And, uh, you know, just writing, working uh, on some book ideas, hopefully the pan out and uh, hope that you know, that we can get, you know, move on with our lives soon enough and that uh, everyone can go outside and then my kids can go to college. You know, my, my daughter can go to college next year and my other kid can go back to high school. It's really what I'm concerned about right now. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a crazy, crazy time. Um, you've been writing, I know a bit about this. I'm really concerned about, frankly, well, well, I'm concerned about the path that we've taken as it relates to this. That is obviously a great concern of mine. But more importantly, it really is setting up for us a kind of a razor's edge situation. We're going one way or the other. We've really allowed as a society and politically uh, elected officials to act sometimes in an autocratic manner, certainly in an you know, somewhat authoritarian manner. And we haven't, we're starting to see some opposition now, but there's been a lot of compliance. And I just wonder how that's going to play out in the future. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you hit on a, a number of topics there I think are important. Like, first, let's talk about, you know, the social distancing and the mask wearing and, and the and the self quarantining. Um, I'm, initially, I was all for that. And I, I don't, 
pretend to know what the best path forward is as far as, as the coronavirus itself goes. Um, but I have big issues with the uh, with government compelling people to do those things because it, it is authoritarian. They arbitrarily came up with uh, you know a bunch of rules that we needed to follow. I think if they can convince us to follow those rules, that's fine. But once they, uh, you know, compel you to follow them, you know, first of all, there's no consent of the people to do these things. If you have a short-term, um, uh, you know, uh, executive action, a governor, whatever, that's you know, fine. But this is already now months, right? So I think that yeah. those kind of intrusions are no longer just emergency measures; they're actual laws that that haven't been voted on, that haven't been debated, that haven't been thought about in, in the right way. So I'm, I'm completely against anything like that, especially when they undermine constitutional rights. The idea that someone can't protest the lockdown is ridiculous to me because we don't need to protest when we agree with government. We need to protest when we think the government's doing something wrong. That's the entire point of it. Uh, and of course, also, I feel the same way about, uh, you know, stopping people from going to worship. I think there that we can't put safety above all other things because that, that it's, you know we're talking about arbitrary numbers here. If there's a bad flu season, can we do the same thing? If there's a bad you know winter, can we do the same thing? It's just not how a republic and a free nation should should work. And it's interesting because though at first, and I, I totally sympathize with what the original position you took, because at first there really was a lot, there were a lot of unknowns. Uh, what, how will this play out? How communicable is this disease? Uh, wh what are the appropriate steps to take to try to thwart much of it? But um, I, I, I kind of feel like, just like the New Jersey governor Murphy said when he was on Tucker Carlson not long ago, he made the statement, uh, when Tucker asked him about the bill of rights, he says, yeah, I didn't even think about that, <laughs> you know, and that, that instinct exists in our culture today in a way that we haven't seen before, but like judge Napolitano said, who is a constitutional expert, unlike you and I, he said, you know, yeah, you don't turn off the constitution, the bill of rights in a pandemic. Um, how are we supposed to navigate that though? I, I mean, I know how I think we're supposed to navigate that, but that, that brings a political dilemma that I we haven't faced for some time in this country, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to pat myself on the back at all, but I think in like the first week of this thing I wrote, the Constitution isn't suspended because of coronavirus, because of people, I could already see local politicians acting in ways that I didn't like. It's interesting when you talk about freedom, you know, and especially during a pandemic, when I say freedom, I'm just talking about just the basic rights that we all uh, have and are protected. By government, not given to us by government, which isn't which people don't seem to understand sometimes. Um, I saw, and I forget his name right now, but he's a big MSNBC guy, and he's a vice uh, columnist. Say something like, um, you know, free people are Americans are too freedom obsessed, and it gets in the way of getting things done, like on on climate change or whatever. It, to me that is an alien thought because to me the country exists to be free not to get stuff done to get stuff done we can come together and get stuff done of course it's a good thing i'm not saying it but the purpose of the country the purpose of the politicians the purpose of the lawyers and the policemen and the courts 
above all things is to defend the constitution and the rights of the people. That's their, that's their charge. That's what the constitution charges them with, not to get stuff done. So I think there's that mindset has crept in with a lot of politicians. Listen, I think some of them have completely um, good intentions and want to keep people safe. But the problem with politicians are they need to get elected and they are by nature risk averse. And Americans shouldn't be as risk averse as they are acting right now. Again, I'm not saying go out there and kill your grandma, whatever. I'm just saying that we, we have to talk about this at least in a way I think that is more that, that understands the balance between our economic future and the future of our kids and the future uh, just in general and what we're, what we're doing to the country with this uh, one size fits all lockdown that's, you know, is ridiculous to have across the country, I think. Well, it really is. And, and it's been said that uh, politics is the world's second oldest profession. And it's uh, much like the first, I think Reagan said that uh, much like the oldest. I mean, so that risk averseness is all it's endemic to the whole process of politics. There's no doubt about it. You see it throughout history, you see it throughout our history, the ups and downs of uh, quasi corrupt, if not actually corrupt behavior and we're always going to deal with that but well i, I kind of I, I, think, I think the risk aversion is fine right yeah. that's why we have the constitution to, to protect us from them overstepping those bounds and the problem is i'm sure you're about to say this but is that they're stepping over that line so it's not their risk aversion that bothers me it's that uh yeah. it seems to me right now that there's nothing stopping them from doing whatever they want um especially on the state level. And that is, uh, that's a little scary because one time we might have a different kind of emergency uh, that necessitates force or whatever, or shuts down uh, the first amendment. And that's, that's, you're right. The compliance that I see from people is, is, is a bit scary. Well, it's interesting because what I was, was going to point to here is these people actually, and on purpose, take an oath every, at every level of government. I just got elected the city council in my local community. And I had to take the same oath in effect that, that every politician has to take in this country. And well, first like, of all, congratulations. What community are you now Woodland on the Park. City? Which one? Woodland Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, so where, can you explain town. to me where, where that is? Is it South it's of Denver? Up the road you remember from Colorado Springs. Okay. Is on, it near like Castle Bank? Rock or is it South of, uh, so, uh it's, it's like, it's, it's level with uh, Colorado Springs, but you got to go down to South Colorado Springs and drive up US 24 to get there, oh, okay. around the All mountains. Right. That's a congratulations. Yeah, range. But so everybody's got to take that oath and it's almost like that's just a rote behavior that we perform as a duty <laughs> rather than anything we take seriously. And, you know, we're human beings. So that's obviously the struggle of human beings is taking these things seriously. But I think we have a culture right now uh, that feeds or have had a culture that feeds a lot of this problem because we also don't take note of it at the citizen level enough, at least to turn out people that don't take it seriously. And there are a lot more politicians that don't take it. I mean, it's one thing to, I, I, I got to do something. I'm, I'm trying to do my duties. And then you didn't think clearly through the process and someone brings up a lawsuit and corrects it. It's kind of beyond that. It, there, there's almost, it, there, there is this sentiment out there that, uh, as you expressed to that vice reporter that, yeah, we can't get things done. So, you know, screw it. That's, that's just not where, where we can maintain our, we can't maintain our freedoms with that becoming fully propagated in this culture. Well, I think that, um, people themselves don't 
should say it like that. A lot of people don't care about, uh, you know, they're not as idealistic, I'd say, as the, you know, average uh, person. But say, I'm sorry, they're not as idealistic as like the Tea Party type or the person who goes out and protests. So they don't think right. about it in that way. Uh, and I think that maybe that's always sort of or has been the case for a long time. But I do also think that there was sort of an instinctual reactions that Americans had simply from the way they lived, that they didn't like to be, you know, to meekly follow orders from some bureaucrat. That's just not an American way of thinking about the world. Right. So apparently that has changed somewhat. Now, it's probably not fully. I saw, I saw this where uh, I listened to a a. Uh, a podcast with PJ O'Rourke the other day where he said that he was against every single uh, government, you know, edict to, to not, you know, to not leave his house, et cetera. But he followed all of them down to the letter anyway, which made me <laughs> laugh because it's like, I agree as well that maybe Americans are too compliant, but maybe they're just compliant because they're scared about something that's legitimate outside. Like maybe they disagree with the way government, like the, the governor makes them do things, but they do it anyway. So it's difficult maybe to judge how compliant they actually are or would be if, if their lives, if they didn't feel their lives were in some kind of danger anyway. Do you know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. uh, maybe I'm just being, maybe we're overreacting slightly to how, uh, you know, easily people are, are cowed by, by government because really if everyone wanted to go outside tomorrow, there's not much they could do to stop that. Well, you know, uh, my, my theory on this from the very beginning, I was saying this, I'd probably put it on social media somewhere. Um, the, the proper approach here is give everybody excellent information. You know, it's like, listen to the doctors. You got to listen to the doctors. Well, what you do is you listen to the doctors and then make a choice. Uh, Christy Nome may come out of this whole thing, the governor of uh, South Dakota. She may come out of this thing looking amazing because of the approach that she took. I tend to think that she will. I think we, there's still some questions about the effect of this virus, but at the same time, uh, we're getting a lot better information. And I, I think, you know, better, better than halfway chance that she's gonna come out looking well on this. But that was the approach to take. It's like, here's what you gotta do to be safe. Here are the people who need to most be safe. And then let the people decide. I've had some people argue with me you know, well, gosh, you know, you can't do that because people are going to make stupid choices. And that, just, well, no, I, I mean, it's in everybody's interest not to die. And, uh, and, and there are some people that you can never stop from dying when things like this come along as well. I think having that trust in the people while being very urgent about what the real risks are and very clear I think that's a far better approach, and 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 you would so therefore what PJ O'Rourke did is a rational decision, and apparently he's making the point not because someone told me that I ought to do it or was going to enforce that with me, but because they gave me information and I decided you know I'm in my seventies I don't want to die. Right, and you know the contention that we should you should listen to scientists is is absurd um, yeah. because first of all. Scientists disagree. Science is not some kind of static, you know, uh, static, you know, uh, position that never changes. Obviously, there's some science that doesn't change, but much science is argued over, especially when you're talking about something that we hadn't haven't dealt with yet. I'm a little bit reluctant um, in my debates to to jump on gotchas where people got things wrong about this because we didn't know what it was going to be like. 
exactly because we can't. And then, yeah. um, and the people made choices that they thought were best. And uh, some of them were the right choices. Some of them weren't. I still don't think we fully understand what's going on. You have a state like Florida where it should be spreading like crazy and killing people like crazy. And it's not, but in New York it is. So obviously we have a lot more to learn. And I think that, you know, people make choices as they move forward, as they learn more things about it. So, um, and also, as you mentioned, you know, it depends where you are. So not just because the disease reacts differently, in different places, but because people are different and people act differently in different places, rural people, you know, people in, who live in the desert, people who live in, in colder places, et cetera. So I think the, the, the idea initially to try to blame Trump for everything because he was supposed to sort of hand down edicts from above federally was stupid. And then they kept changing their position on whether to blame him for acting too, too much, you know, too strictly from the federal level and then not strictly enough. It's like, you know, you, you don't understand federalism, first of all. And secondly, you obviously don't care. You're just looking for reasons to be mad at Trump. Yeah. And I think that Trump underplayed this in the beginning in the way he should not have. I think he was trying to probably keep everyone calm, which is a obviously also a risk-averse kind of thing to do. But I think he's been fine. Now, if you look at every country, basically, in the West, have all essentially had to deal with this in some similar way. And their death total looks somewhat similar. Some countries do better. Germany, I think we are, have done a lot better than people give us credit for in other countries yeah. worse. But, you know, I, I just don't think that we knew what was going to happen. And it's very difficult to react to something like that. I think so. Uh, speaking of science, by the way, uh, I think I, I'm going to tell you a tweet that I put out, but I think I, I actually uh, overstepped you retweeting the same person uh, to get this out. But Joe Lockhart put out that tweet saying, this may be oversimplifying this, but November's election is coming down to a Republican part who rejects science and date and put their faith in God and Trump and Democrats who believe the answers come from science, blah, 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 blah. And I, I kind of retweeted that. And what I said was, you must be talking about the quote unquote science that refutes science when it doesn't fit properly into their quote unquote science. I mean, that's kind of, kind of and by the way, I did the a hashtag I saw Thomas Massey do, which I really liked, hashtag MOFA make Orwell fiction again. Um, you know, th this is kind of the debate that we're having. This, this is just another one of those instances where we've got people from a political perspective, in this case, one of the left, that, uh, that you're not, you don't know science, but then they beat you up for showing opposing science. Because as you say, science is is an evolving manner i mean there are strictures to it of course there's a scientific method that we have to follow the problem is on the on the deductive side and the irrational things that the left usually uses when it comes to believing these scientists these medical scientists in this case or climate change scientists or whatever it is and um, that debate is going to continue and propagate uh, which I mean, I is really one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast because I think you have to assert uh, the objective reality so that we can get to the things that maintain our freedoms and help us live the lives that we ought to be living or at least that we desire that may that gives us that pursuit of happiness that Jefferson talked about. Well, I mean, Joe Lockhart is a uh. It's a preposterous character and the things he says are very stupid, but, um, 
because he's basically, you know, he's taking more complicated arguments that some people on the left make, though many people are doing what he's doing. And then and he tries to like sort of regurgitate them and he does it in a crass way because he's not very bright. But, um, and he was attacking Bethany Mandel who, who tried to have a, a conversation about how to move forward, um, you know, and, and think about her family and think about the economy and also think about the science. But here's the thing. I don't, I hate the, the contention that I have to listen to science. Actually, I don't, even when the science is right, I'll give you an example. If I listened to my doctor, obviously my life would be terrible. So I don't listen to him. You know, I wouldn't eat red meat or I'd have to exercise every day and all these horrible things. I don't listen to him. I do what I want because guess what? We live our lives with tremendous amount of risk all the time. Every time I get in a car, every time I get, you know, do anything. So I don't have to listen to science if I don't feel like it. I mean, it's, it's not, they treat science like it's a religion. There are a million other things going on in life. I remember uh, it was in Colorado, actually. I saw Christopher Hitchens give a speech. Someone asked him about why he smoked so much. And he says, because life wouldn't be worth living without it. Um, <laughs> now, if that's true or not, if he felt that way at the end of his life, I'm not sure. But you know what? That's what we do. And I don't have any, um, the constitution, there's no amendment that says you must, and then listen to science, you know, I can right. listen to it or not. Now, obviously we're talking about something that affects all of us, not just me. Um, so I don't, let's say I don't like to wear a mask and I don't actually, not for any political reason. I just find it, uh, uncomfortable and I just put it on to make other people feel better. I don't buy that. Right. I, if I walk outside, I'm going to get sick just by walking outside, but I, I wear it. Um, not because of the science I wear it because I'm part of a society and I don't want other people to feel bad and I don't want to get anyone else sick, but in my own life, I should be able to act anyway. If I want to open my salon in Dallas, I should be able to do it. And if people want to show up, they should be able to show up because being safe is not the ultimate and only thing that we think about. And it shouldn't be, at least, you know, that's how I view it. Now, where the balance is with all that, I don't know. You know, that's why we work that out as it goes along and we work that out in different places in different ways. Obviously, Manhattan was the central, you know, was the central breeding ground for this virus. Subways had probably looks like they had something to do with it. There are no subways in uh, Des Moines and there are no subways in Boise and those people should be able to deal with it in their own ways. I yeah, mean, they, and they can, can obviously, but you know, I, what yeah. I mean is that people shame them when they try to like, you know, try to open the economy, but they don't, you know, I, I just quickly, Joe Lockhart types will attack Georgia, will attack Florida. Why? Because there's Republicans running those places. They want to attack California, Colorado, right? I mean, didn't uh, yeah. a progressive essentially was the most aggressive in opening up. So right. you know, probably maybe other than Georgia and he doesn't get the same kind of uh, anger directed at him. No, not at all. I heard a preacher one time, by the way, on this whole choice issue. Uh, he was talking about the health food craze back in the 80s and 90s when it was still developing. It's a little more mainstream now. But he was like, if I got to eat sticks and twigs, I don't want to live. I mean, that that actually is an essential statement of freedom because there is that subjective aspect of it, of what I can do. I think the real breakdown in science to me seems to be this when people say you got to believe the scientists um really what they're saying is you got to believe the people that are doing the inductive process the research and the data you know and those people are experts there's no doubt about it they're that's that's where their real skill is the problem is and where the real discussion comes in is the conclusions you come to with that so there are many people that make irrational deductive inferences from science that 
even the non-scientist has a right to oppose because that, that gets into this, this uh, discussion of reason and, and appropriateness. And then there's the individual decision-making that you mentioned with R Christopher Hitchens. I mean, sure, he, he possibly died more quickly because he was a smoker. That's a possibility. I, I think he had brain cancer, so I don't know exactly that was the case, but maybe that contributed to it. But he knew going into it when he was smoking, evidenced by his response at that uh, meeting that he was making a decision that could have negative consequences. And in a free society, we're allowed to do that. And, and, and by the way, another thing on the science, the uh, Framington, Massachusetts study said for decades that uh you know eggs and butter and meat were bad for you because of the fat content and now the science is saying with more inductive into it well no that's not the case that actually was wrong but yet for decades we entirely altered our society on something that was bad science that candidly seemed like good science at the time right and, and so this is why we don't have to listen to the scientists in my opinion well, yeah. And I mean, that was, I wrote a book years ago called Nanny State. That was it's the argument that, you know, as long as there's transparency and we understand the risks and we're grown ups and we have to take, and we have free will. And if we have those things and we do, then we should be able to let, you know, allow to make the choices that we want, even if they hurt society, even if they cost society, even if the externalities are negative, because that's what freedom is about. Um, but but you hit on something else that I think is very interesting. And part of the problem with a lot of people being more, more skeptical about science. Now, I don't even know if that's true, by the way. I, maybe people have always been skeptical. You know, they, you know, I think for political reasons, people pretend that, you know, we're less intellectual than we used to be or something like that. I don't know if that, any of that's true. But I'll tell you this. I think a lot of the experts and a lot of the left have corroded the belief in science because they've uh, appropriated the word science and the idea of science for their own political needs, right? So if I say, hey, you want to talk about science, life starts at conception, right? Oh, no, here's science. Here are some scientists that say that life starts, you know, whenever you decide life starts or whatever <laughs> uh, nonsense they're coming up with. So now all of a sudden, I have to argue against this kind of fake science. Like, you know, there's a guy, Tom Nichols, who is, you know, Joe Expert wrote a book about the death of expertise. Well, the problem is that people like him and other experts like him are partisans. They're not actually giving us some kind of dispassionate uh, view of the world. They're giving us a partisan view. So when people push back against that, they pretend that they're pushing back against science. It's like, like you mentioned, climate change. For decades now, climate change scientists have been completely wrong, basically, about everything. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong now. I don't know. I can't know and I can't prove what's going to happen in the future. But I, in my mind, because I, can, I have free will and I'm, I think about it, I yeah. balance out the economic cost of what they want to do. Like the science is not always enough. And the science has been abused so much for so long. That I'm skeptical. Yeah, I am skeptical of the person who wants to take away my car. I'm sorry. I feel like, you know, environmentalism is basically the same as socialism and, and uh, some sort of statism, whatever they want to do that needs to control people. And I'm very skeptical of it for political reasons. I don't hide from that. 
I'm skeptical of your science because of my ideology, because ideology is part of our lives as well. Ideolo ideology is not something I just invented in, in the back room. There's a long history to my belief system. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same thing with Joe Lockhart saying, oh, people are going to rely on God. Good. If it gives them hope, let's say you don't believe in God. So what? why would you be against that? It just, it's to me yeah. ridiculous. God is not in conflict with science. Some religions maybe, but most people can believe in science and God side by side and always have. And a lot of the great scientists were religious people as well. They always point to the few who weren't, you know. Well, so. I mean, Isaac Newton said I was, uh, I'm in his work, he was thinking God's thoughts after him. You know, there were very serious scientists who, who, did amazing things that pushed us forward uh, into even in, I mean, in Isaac Newton's case, even through Einstein into the world of quantum mechanics, which has done so much uh, for just your freaking cell phone. I mean, so yeah, it, the, these do have long histories of development and, uh, and there's I don't know, I, you know, you know, I'm an atheist, right? So I am, yes, I know that. but here's the thing. And I, I think I've written about this. I wish I could believe in God because I think that all the byproducts of that are positive. Now, obviously, people are not perfect, but the ideas you're talking about are excellent. But more than that, when it comes to America, I want everyone to believe that God gave them the right to be free, not the government, right? So, yeah. to, and, and same thing with, with um, you know, they're just their outlook on life and the hope that there's something after, that there are things bigger than themselves, even bigger than their country, bigger than the environment, bigger than everything. But yet I think that, I just wanted to mention that I think that this sort of sneering at God and this belief, you know, more atheism is actually very harmful to this country. And you can see what it does in Europe. They don't have any kind of, um, they have, there was, to be a European and whatever country you talk about, for instance, there is no, uh, there's no uniting sort of thought about the, you know, uh, philosophical view of the future because they don't really believe in anything anymore. It's just a bunch of vapid slogans, you know? So this yeah. is why I think religion's important. So when I see Joe Lockhart sneer at religious people for, for having hope, like how does having, like it's such a false choice. How does having hope in God have anything to do with anything else? Is, is he saying Democrats aren't also looking towards God ever at all during this time? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just yeah. No, it's it's kind of now. funny. No, no, no. It's it's but it's an interesting topic. And by the way, we're friends. I'll I'll work with you on the God thing. We'll get there. No, but uh, a lot of people anyway, have tried. Um, there's a great story I heard one time. Uh, some uh, astrophysicist says to a theologian, he says, "Man, you know, I I don't get it with you theologians. I mean, you talk about you know." Uh, interlapsarianism and postlapsarianism and all these technicalia around theology. And to me, it's just basically the golden rule, do unto others. And the, the theologian sits back for a second. He says, you know, you've got a good point because, I mean, I, I feel the same way about you astrophysicists. You talk about uh, pulsating quasars and neutron stars and all these amazing things that are happening. And, you know, for me, I just look back and I say, it really what it comes down to me is twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know, it's like, it's like, we, that is an interesting really, point. Yeah. We, we really, and everyone, you know, no one says, uh, if it's something easy to figure, you say, well, you don't have to talk to a theologian. They say, no, it just, you don't have to be a rocket like, scientist. Like that's it, a good what point. We prefer. Yeah, I, I like I am not a science or math person, right? I'm a I'm, I'm my I use the other side of my brain, I guess. But 
<laughs> I look at a cell phone. I don't, I don't really, I mean, I'm sort of interested and, and I'm, I'm kind of amazed that it happens, but I don't really know how, or, and I don't really care that much, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I do very much care about how or why, you know, every denomination of, of, of the Christian faith, why they got to where they are, why they think the way they think. And um, so, so I imagine a scientist might not care less about those things and more about, you know, less about the ideas of, you know, politics or religion and more about, even though I, I don't, you know, it's, it's again, it's a false choice, but you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't need to know how the science work. I just trust that it does. Well, and to put a cap on this, you know, on this aspect of our discussion, uh, you might remember I had Andrew Breitbart in for a big demonstration I did at the Capitol in Colorado many years ago. And we were talking afterwards and he, he as an agnostic, he, he said very candidly, he says, I love Christians. In fact, I feel like I need to defend Christians. He said, we wouldn't have freedom in this world if it weren't for the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I think that, you know, and, and by the way, you know, the, the deist Jefferson, who questioned many aspects of the Bible, still saw how important those principles were to freedom and, and referred to them many, many times and in an honest way, even with people he disagreed with on religion and, and knew how critical fundamental principles were and, of course, codified it uh, in his uh, statement in the Declaration of Independence. I mean, so we've got to recognize where these ideals come from. And I've known many people who were atheists or agnostics who knew how important these freedoms were because they wouldn't have their freedoms in certain societies as well, certainly in more theocratic minded societies and Muslim societies even. Yeah. I mean, obviously I agree with that. I'm a big defender of religious freedom and Christianity in general. Obviously I have my disagreements with specific things that some denominations might or might not believe. And it's very kind of Christians to always say Judeo Judeo Christian society. When we're really talking about a Christian society, uh, Israel took, idea i mean don't get me wrong i yeah. Ju judaism is a rich history and i'm very uh happy to be, have been born jewish and i think about that quite often but yeah. it is a christian society here uh, that took all the best europe had to offer took all the you know ideas about god the ideas about freedom the ideas about individuality and brought them here and created something amazing if i were a christian i would think that this this is the miracle of the world and the united states and obviously that sounds probably you know, a little syrupy or, or, or overly patriotic, but I actually believe that. And Europe uh, turned away from those ideals and, uh, and the America, Amer Americans did not. So I am a big fan of religious, the more orthodox people they are, the better, because orthodox people actually believe in things. Listen, atheists, this is how I view it. Like atheists are not willing to die for things other than themselves, Christians are. And I think that it's a weird thing to say, but that's, a, that's an important distinction about people who believe in something bigger than themselves or don't. Now, obviously, some Christians are probably super selfish and would die for anyone else, but you know sure. what I mean. In the ideal, uh, it matters. And Jews, too, and religious Jews as well. I mean, in fact, I don't want to go down this alley, but I think, you know, many American liberals have, have destroyed and corroded the idea of Judaism and tried to make it into something different, which is liberalism, which it is not. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a tragedy for the Jewish people. Uh, here yeah. because again even if you don't believe the tradition and the customs and the things that tie you to the past are also a big part of religion and incredibly important so when you you know you think about christianity you're talking about thousands of years of thought that's evolved in some ways but also didn't evolve in other ways that makes it so important and that's what i think about the constitution in a way we can't you know it's not a malleable document in the way that liberals want it to be for a very good reason just like religion isn't 
And they're so used to making everything malleable to fit whatever they're thinking, whenever they're thinking it, that they don't understand that something shouldn't be changed. And uh, that's why I think that, we're, you know, you have this big fight over, uh, over the, the importance of the Constitution, which I think that most progressives couldn't care less about in any way, unless it moves their political goals forward. And by the way, it's, athe it's atheistic, whether they're atheists or not, in the sense, uh, in the Dostoevsky sense, you know, if there is no God, then everything is permissible. If you don't have fundamental principles that guide you, and even an atheist can believe this, it's, it, obviously, as you do, um, that, you know, if you don't have rules of the road, then it's chaos. And, and, and it's worse than chaos. It's harmful to people. It brings great harm. It brings uh, Lord of the Flies. It takes us to Lord of the Flies in a sense, or some similar paradigm that uh, we don't want to go to. And so we have to be thankful for these principles being solid in our country, if we can reassert them and keep asserting them. Yeah, I mean, there's always this dumb argument that, you know, oh, these things were written down in the, you know, in the 1700s, how important can they be today? It. It, there's a fundamental misunderstanding. There are some principles that you keep, which are the guideposts, you know, like due process, for instance, that always work. That doesn't mean that you're uh, retarding the, 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 the evolution or growth of your country or technology or science or inhibiting people from doing things that will help us in the future. It means that we have these principles that we treat people the same under these rules. They can't understand that. Like, it's just, I, I hate to jump all over, but to, to take the colleges right now and the Obama letter that had basically stripped away all due process rights for college students who engage or alleged are alleged to engage in this one specific crime. Like, we're going to treat these people differently. We're going to treat this crime differently. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. That's a disaster. That's Lord of the Flies right there. When you, yeah. When everyone has a different standard they have to live by. Uh, you know, when Joe Biden gets to live by one standard and Kavanaugh gets to live by another standard. We can't have a society like that. A society like that can't exist. It will break apart. That's why we have equal, equal protection. Yeah, there's a great uh, Babylon B uh, uh, satire said <laughs> the, it, it, uh, the link, uh, the front page lists, uh, this is an article that lists all the reasons why Joe Biden's uh, situation and how he's reacting to it is not hypocritical. And then it had no text in the article. I mean, it's kind of, kind of funny, but that, that's a good transition, by the way, for us. So looking ahead as we're winding down our time together, take a few minutes. Let me know what you, your present feeling is about the outcomes of the uh, November elections. I'm a bit ambivalent in my viewpoint right now because there's not a lot of clarity, but I think I see a few things. I, I want to see what your thoughts are on how November is shaking out. Well, I don't, uh, I was wrong about the last election and I, I broke a rule that I have of not um, predicting what will happen because I'm so often wrong in my predictions and that's not what I, I do. I'm not a horse race guy, you know what I mean? Right. But I will say, I think, um, and I, I don't know. I think the way structurally the country is set up with the states, I mean, Trump can win again in the same way he won last time, but he could also very easily lose if Democrats are more excited about the election or angrier about it or whatever. Because of coronavirus, I have even, I think, less read on what's going on. It depends, I think, how the economy looks like during the summer, you know, in the end of the summer. Are we turning a corner uh, are there big uh, quarter? Is there going to be a big quarter of growth? 
is unemployment going to fall again? I think all those things could definitely happen. And I, then I think that Trump will have a good shot at it. Um, Biden, though, is a terrible politician and a terrible candidate. And I'm not saying that because I disagree with his opinions. I'm saying that because he's just been terrible his whole career. Um, first off, and I don't, again, I don't know if voters care that much about flip-flops, but he has never kept a consistent position. That's why he won't release his papers because you're going to see letters to segregationists. You're going to see pro-life stuff uh, because he's always, he was pro-life for a very long time. You're going to see, uh, you know, all, you're going to see him buddying up with Putin. You're going to see him buddying up with China. These things are problematic for him, but he is clearly just a placeholder. The guy they picked who they think can win and will offend the least amount of people on the left and right and, you know, centrist. So, um, but when you watch him now, and I'm not saying this as sort of, I'm not saying this as a, as a, because I'm ageist or anything, though I think it's completely okay to talk about someone's age, is that he's just not, he's not who he used to be, which wasn't that great to begin with as a politician. So he's, he's, he's less than they used to be, which is, was already pretty le- you know, low. So um, I don't know how that shakes out either. I think he's, I think the more you see him, I don't, I don't know if you saw that New York Magazine piece about someone arguing that his best, best campaign strategy would be not to be seen. That's never a very good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but I think that, that it is true. He can't remember any grandkids he has. He's just, all, you know, it's just a bunch of word salads. And Trump obviously has a propensity to sometimes talk in a way that people, you know, word salady as well. So I can't imagine what these debates are going to look like. But to me, it yeah, seems really. like Trump seems like he's far more um, with it than Biden. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that shakes out either. How does that, um, what, what dynamic do you see starting to develop in the electorate? Maybe we'll put it that way, because I'm looking at, are there are more people just staying in this compliant mode and getting more uh, complacent about government overreach or evidenced by some of these uh, various protests in various states? Are we starting to see a Tea Party-like, although it'd be a little bit different than it, but a Tea Party-like upsurge? That's taking place in the electorate. What's your sense of that? I, I don't. I don't think there's going to be a big Tea Party movement now over this because I think that it's going to have to end at some point soon because most people can't do do this. It's just not. I don't know how long we've been in, in our houses, but how much longer can it go on? Once it gets nice outside and it's starting to in the summer, I just don't think this can continue, and I don't think it will. So I don't think that that movement is going to happen. However, I do think no matter who wins there's going to be a giant fight over the future because I think that a lot of uh, Democrats and liberals see this as, you know, as they do any sort of, you know, any sort of catastrophe, I guess, or any sort of, uh, you know, problem that they see it as an opportunity to change the way we deal with the world. So it's always going to be, everything's going to be about coronavirus and how we, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to grow the government. Um, If Biden won the election, I think there would be a big blowback against that and him if Trump wins the election, I think you're going to see the continued anger on on the left, and perhaps, perhaps that's going to be even, uh, you know, heightened and and uglier than it is, and nothing gets done. And as you probably know, I'm a massive fan of gridlock. So, yeah, uh, whatever, <laughs> yeah. So what's happened, I think, is that the right and left can't come together on things anymore. They simply are too far apart now. I think it's because the left has gone all the way left, but I think the right to some extent has also become more conservative, especially in some, some issues. So because they can't do anything and they can't get anything done, I hope that federalism starts to work better in this country. I mean, that's my positive outlook, you know, or hope 
that there'll be more federalism and states will do the things they need to do. If not, we just have gridlock and that's okay. I know it's not okay in the sense that I think people get really frustrated with it and then they start to get even more um, extreme in their views and angrier and more radical, but I think it's good for America in general. And, uh, but I do always worry that progressives are just going to start ignoring the courts at some point. Like, let's say the Supreme Court has a gun. Let's say it reaffirms Heller again in some way. And California says, you know what? We're just going to ignore you. What are you going to do? Send your army here? That kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> then I think Texas is like, okay, we'll ignore the abortion one then, you know, and then it all falls apart. That, so that's my fear. But I don't know. I think like this because we're talking and we're on, you know, we're constantly bombarded with these people arguing about politics. But when I go out in the real world, which I haven't in a, in a while, you know, people, <laughs> people aren't, I don't know that, I don't know that, that they're that uh, ideological or that concerned or that partisan. So we'll see. Yeah. And by the way, which uh, we didn't get to it in detail, but that Lamond article I sent you that has all these uh, goody goodies and Nobel prize laureates telling us, how wonderful it's been that the world's been shut down and we need to rethink everything and restructure everything. That debate's going to continue, I uh, predict. And, uh, but I, it's just going to be curious to see how, uh, how strategically capable they will be moving forward after this, after all this. I mean, I saw this uh, columnist, I think his name is Eric Holthouse, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm big climate change guy has like a million followers literally on, yeah. on Twitter say this coronavirus shows that we can shut down, you know, fossil fuel use and we can make the air cleaner. He's a little, they're arguing that this is what you need to do. He says, he says, we've just reached exactly what the Paris Accords are supposed to have, where they're supposed to have. So he's literally arguing that we need to basically shut down almost 90% of the economy to reach the, the carbon emission goals that he wants. And this is his argument. I, I, yeah. I have enough faith in the American people that I, I predict that that argument is not going to prevail. There have been times when it should have and didn't because the American people pushed back on it, especially during the Obama administration. By the way, I had a friend, I shared this on a different podcast, but uh, my friend Robert Heiler is a kind of a messaging guy. And he posted up, uh, thank you for my free 60 day trial period of full socialism. I would like to cancel my subscription effective immediately. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, there was some talk earlier in this coronavirus crisis about Na- sort of nationalizing or have they, they don't it's more like fascism you know in a way than socialism i'm not saying that we have nazis or anything i'm just saying that right. uh, they want to they want government and business to work together in a way that it, that they mandate what you need to buy they mandate what you need to make they mandate exactly what you have to offer which is not socialism but it's kind of statism or fascism you know right. that is bad for the economy and dangerous. And I, I actually worry, my big worry about the right is that there's, there are people on the right now, I think who have, who have turned against free markets in a way that they're essentially more in line with what the left is talking about than the right. Um, it's sort of the, you know, it's a populist kind of strain, but even more than Trump, I think is populist in reality. That is, is dangerous because you're going to have a lot of them, uh, these sorts of senators agreeing you know, congressmen agreeing with the left. Well, on and, and by the way, I heard Senator Bill Cassidy talking about his bill, another 
bill to throw out more money. And he says, yeah, we need to do this to help jumpstart the economy. And I'm like, are we all Keynesians now in the Republican party? What the heck's up with well, that? Because I, I, I would push back on that with you just if we have time, I don't know. But yeah. is, is that uh, this is different than like the recession, than a cyclical economic recession, because this was actually forced on the American people. So sure. if government is going to force something on the American people. I don't view the money they're giving us as a, a stimulus because it's not look at the economy. It's not a stimulus, but I do view it as a rescue. And I think that they should rescue us in this situation. But generally, of course, I agree with you and uh, you know, that we, that, that when, you know, pushing money to the economy is not the best way to, to grow it, certainly to stimulate it, but uh, no, absolutely. And in fact, my, no, my, my perspective on this is, actually precisely what you're saying and to the extent that the problem is still a government problem. So they shut us down. They mm -hmm. put us in this situation and we can argue back and forth as we talked about earlier about, you know, what did we know beforehand? But I mean, it's been prolonged far beyond necessity. And the worst part about this is that politicians who shut our economy down, put us in a situation, as I describe it, where we had to take $2.3 trillion out of the economy, put it into the politicians' hands so that they could decide how to put it back into the economy. And then, you know, someone will come back and say, oh, well, you know, not all of the, our, and this is mostly going to be financed by debt, not all of our debt is uh, bought in this country. Well, no, but about 70, 75% of it is. And so this is, that 75%, let's, let's say $1.6 trillion is a bunch of people in this country investing in bonds that really are an incredibly poor investment and really, frankly, not an investment at all. It's just a, a salvation, but it is money that could have been productively used otherwise. And so I, I think this is, this is my big problem with it. Yeah, I thought the whole thing was run ridiculously. The, the key should have been, to, and, and this is an anti-populist argument, but business should have gotten the vast majority of the money to say, listen, keep these people hired, keep them on their health care. The money will flow. Give the banks money. The banks give the companies money. The people stay hired. This idea that we should send people checks is absurd. I don't, like I still have my job, thank God, and I get a check. You think I'm going to go out to the movies or order food? No, I'm going to put it in the <laughs> bank. Because I'm worried about the future. That's the instinct of most people that they're going to save now. So to give people checks is just a populist, ridiculous response to it. The, the, the response should, and don't get me wrong, they were lending money to businesses, but they should have given big businesses money and say, listen, we'll give you this money if you keep people hired. But, you know, instead we have this ridiculous check thing where then Trump has to put a signature on it. And I had noted that they should be putting the names of our grandkids on these checks because they are the ones yeah. who are going to have to pay it, not, uh, not anyone else. So, yeah, should, yeah but, but I agree with you too. Yeah, it should have had like some checks, you know, where there are two signatories. One should have been Donald Trump and the other one should have been your grandchildren. Absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, with that, uh, David. Some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. By the way, with that, David, uh, how do people get connected with you and uh, stay in touch with what you're doing on a regular basis? They definitely don't get connected with me. I am not a people person, <laughs> but uh, they can follow me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They can follow me on David Harsani at David Harsani on Twitter, which where I'm very active, actively picking fights and um, at National Review. They can see me there. I write for the New York Post sometimes, but uh, most of my work is at National Review. I'm also syndicated. I don't know where in Colorado. Maybe you can find me there as well. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out. Not many papers left. No, uh, 
but I'm glad that you're social enough to maintain a friendship with me. That, that means a lot to me. And, uh, I feel you like got I'm in under the window. Like once I, once I know if I knew you before 2010, that's <laughs> awesome. anyone after that that's, is out on the app. Right. You were more social back then. I noticed that. That's right. Uh, uh yeah. But, uh, anyway, but I was younger. But, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, we've come through a lot together. I'm very uh, grateful for your friendship. Uh, I think you do a fa fabulous job at National Review. I mean, it's I, I consider you one of the best columnists I've ever read, and I was a huge fan of all the greats, you know, in the of, in the older days, the George Wills and others of the time. Even though he's kind of gone a little bit off the deep end, but still, he was a brilliant columnist. Uh, I think you're in that in that league, and I uh, rely on your opinion to help give me better perspective. And, uh, and I definitely follow you on Twitter there. It is a lot of fun watching you pick fights. I really enjoy that. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for those kind words. I, I don't think that's right, but thank you. Um, but I do enjoy Twitter a lot actually, because I do get to pick fights with people who typically wouldn't be available to me. You know what I mean? I mean, I could yeah. hit them in a column, but they wouldn't, I wouldn't get to interact with them. Right. And uh, that's, I think uh, I'm lucky that I get to do that. Yeah, we we diss on social media a lot. I think there there are there are definitely some negatives, but there are oh, also yeah. a lot of benefits. I think. Oh yeah, it's a cesspool for the most part. But you know, I mean, when when you have a blue check mark or a decent amount of followers, people feel compelled sometimes to answer you. So this going to sound. I don't have a huge ego or anything, but sometimes I feel like I speak for a lot of people who aren't getting answers from sometimes from bigger names. I obviously most people just ignore me as well, but I think um, that's the nice thing about because. I know that our time is over, but there's no debate anymore, right? There's just drive-bys. The, they'll, they'll drive by and mock you for something and then not debate you. And I yeah. actually enjoy the debate and I, I've always liked to debate, uh, but I feel like that's not happening anymore. You know, you don't even have dueling columns debating anymore. You just have people speaking to their tribe. And that I think is something that's happened that is not positive because of social media. No, I, I agree. And we should pick that up sometime, maybe in yep. some future podcast. That'd be an interesting discussion as well, among other things. But uh, appreciate your uh, joining me. And uh, I know everyone is going to be greatly benefited by your comments and all that you've been talking about. And again, folks, go to nationalreview.com. Uh, also, uh, at David Harsani, H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. But I'll have that on the podcast notes in case you need it. And definitely hook up with them there. David, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. And again, before you leave us, I just want to ask you, connect with us on our email list and our social media. Go to politicsisntnice.com. Click on the join our email list button. We'll get you information related to what we learned here today, but also um, other information that we're finding out along the way. It'll be a great resource for you. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash against nice and our Twitter page at against nice. Go check us out there and we look forward to talking to you, getting your feedback, finding out more from you. Thanks. And have a great day.